You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. If you have your Bible, please turn to Timothy, 1 Timothy. Today we're going to be looking at um, the living God. We've been covering the... uh, the names of God, uh, most of the time we've been teaching over the past eight years, we've been working through books of the Bible, but we've been doing this study on the names of God, and I think, I think it's been really great. I've, I've been getting a lot out of it. So if you go to 1 Timothy um, chapter 4, verse 10, there's, there's quite a few scriptures we're going to be going over today. This is kind of the base scripture um, that we're going to start with, and then I'll, I'll move around and I apologize, I did not write them on the board like Dell does. He does a good job of that, and I did not do that, and I apologize. Um, my sugar was low. I thank, thanks, thank you, Zach, for bringing the chips ahoy. Uh, if I had not had four of those, I might be in the long sleep right now, but, you know. Anyways. Um, so, we've, we've talked about all these different names of God, all right? And, and, and the one that Dell asked me to preach on today is the living God. And it's one that I've heard my whole life. And, and I don't know about you, but it's, it's very easy to hear it in, on that superficial level, think, yeah, living God, I get it, not dead, got it. But as I, as I dove into it and studied it this week, um, I feel like there's just so much, just, just like with every other part of God's Word, there's so much there. And so... Uh, we're going to start this morning reading First uh, Timothy chapter four, verse ten. This is Paul writing to Timothy, and 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 talking with Timothy, and he says this: uh, For to this end we we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So. What I want us to do is look at what it is to know the living God. And today I want us to see the great truth in the existence of the living God. And after that, after we look into the deeper meaning of, of the name and the title living God, I want to see what life applications there are for us. And then we'll end with a question. Um, so we're going to look at this, at, at this title, living God. And so, Paul, once again, he says, For it is, our, it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men. So the first takeaway I want us to see this morning is that Paul wanted Timothy to fully understand that God is truly existing, and not like the dead gods of the heathens that aren't gods at all. You see, up until this point, and throughout the history of mankind, Man has had this desire in our hearts. It's God put it there to worship a God. And man has formed gods, small g gods, in his own image. He's made things out of, of, out of wood and out of stone and out of gold. As Jeremiah puts it in chapter 10, uh, Jer- he says, For the customs of the people are delusions, because it is the wood cut from the forest, the work of the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. They decorate it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers so that it will not uh, teeter-totter. 
Like a scarecrow in the cucumber field are they. And they speak, they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. And so what Paul wants Timothy to see here is that it is a clear sign that a man is spiritually dead if he worships a dead God. But you see, those of us that are in Christ Jesus are different because we worship a true and living God. See, God is, he's the one who made the heavens and the earth. And he's, and all that is, is in him. He is the God who supports the whole universe by the power of his almighty arm. He is the God who rules over nature. He is the true God and the only real God. He is not just some God that exists in in dreams or in myths or, or something that's conjured up by our imagination, but he is the only true, real, and living God. And so, with that being said, we should worship him with real worship, with real adoration, and with sincere hearts. And we should count it a blessing that he has made him, uh, shown himself to us in such a way that he is the true God. It says in Scripture, God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so therefore we should trust in the living God, the real God. I think the second point that Paul was making to Timothy here is that the living God is self-existent and independent. First point is that he's not like the dead gods in comparison to the dead gods because there are no gods at all. The second point is that the living God is self-existent and independent. See, we trust in a living God who is living in the very real sense of the word. You see, you and I, we're living, but we're entirely dependent upon God who has given us our lives. He alone has given us life. We didn't give ourselves life. We have no independent immortality. It's, it's not natural in us. It can only be sustained by God's power alone. It's only His power that gives us life. It's like we're like a fire that constantly needs fuel, constantly needs new, new wood to allow it to glow and to, and to provide heat. But God, he's, he's self-existent. He alone is the great I am. And if all of us, if all creation ceased to exist, God would, just, would be just as complete as he is now without us. See, he is a fire that burns without fuel. He is the bright and morning star that scatters light everywhere. And it never grows dim. The light of the world is in him and he shares that light and it never stops, it never fades. So God is independent and self-existing and the only real living being in the entire universe in the fullest and realest sense of the word. So it is a joy for us to know that this living God, he can't be diminished. He can't be taken down. His life his force, his power, it cannot be reduced. He is self-sustaining. Nothing we do or nothing in the universe can lessen the life of the living God. It says in Scripture that better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. And if his courts are sustained not by the riches of men, but by his own wealth, 
if his sovereignty stands not by the might of armies, but by his own power, and if he himself is self-sufficient, not because, of all the, not because he gathers all things to himself, but because in him all things are made, he is a God worth worshiping. Point three that I think Paul wants us to see about the living God. It's that he exists, the living God exists throughout all eternity. All eternity. You see, there was a time when you and I did not exist. We were not alive. And there will be a time, and as far as this world is concerned, that we will be buried in the ground physically dead. But there was never a period of time in the history of eternity, past, present, and future, that God is not alive, that He is not the living God. He always was, He always is, and He always will be the living God. So, if you try, this is, this is difficult, to, to try to think back to eternity past. And it's, don't, don't think, it's, it's not easy to do. I mean, I've tried to do this several times. It, it's, it's that thing that we're, we're limited because of our finite minds to understand the infinite. But try, if you will, to think back to before the sun, moon, and stars, before even light and darkness, God was, and God was perfect. He was the living God then. And even before He spoke creation into existence, He was perfect. He, and, it, and when He brought about creation... It did not reduce his life. It did not take anything from him. He is still perfect in his power, perfect in his life. He doesn't need angels to sing his praise. He doesn't need humans to recognize who he is. He is independent of all of that. He alone is the living God. And that is a blessing that that is a truth. You see... Satan himself is a created being. And compared with God, the eternal of all ages, he, he has nothing. He has nothing that he can throw at God that God can't defeat. God rules and reigns over everything at every time, at all places throughout the timeline, through eternity past and eternity present and eternity future. So as we view past, present, and, and future... Um, because of our limited minds, God sees it all. He sees it all at the same time. It's like if we, if like if we had a map up here, or like back there, and I took my hand and covered the United States of America, I could do that very easily, and it's like, well, I just covered the whole map. But, like, my, Alex, how long does it take to get from here to California, driving? Yeah. So even though I can cover that with my hand from Tennessee to California, it takes 30 hours. It takes a lot of time for us to, to traverse these large areas. But God, He's able to cover it all at all times. He's omnipresent and omnipotent. So God is the living God as much now as He ever was. He's as powerful, as wise, as loving, as tender, as strong as He ever was. So blessed be his name, the living God. What I want you to know, I've got this, got this picture of a, of a magazine cover. I was going to show it to you. 
the reason why, I mean, we're talking about these different names and, and particularly this name of the living God, there's, there's throughout human history, go back to Genesis and you look at what Satan did. Did God not say, he poses this question, right, in Genesis to Eve. Did God not say, he's introducing doubt. Let me tell you, people and in, in, in the evil one have not changed. Look at this. Time magazine. Is God dead? It's interesting, right? In that it's got Satan's foot, uh, fingerprints all over it. He's asking, a, it's just a question. Just a question. Is God dead? And you, the way the world is going right now, you would think this was last week's issue, right? You know when this came out? 1966. The prince of the power of air, Satan himself, is doing all that he can. All that he can to take the truth and distort it. And to take our minds and turn them away from the living God. 1966. It's, it's no better today. We all know that. I just want you to see that the devil is, is, is doing all he can. He knows, he knows the time is coming. His day draws near. And he's stepping up his attacks. What are we going to do as the church? Those that claim to know and follow the living God. What effect does this have on us? I just wanted to point, you, point it out to you because I want you to see that the devil's never going to stop trying but God is un, he cannot be, he has overcome the devil. He has defeated the evil one. And one day he will throw him into the pit of fire. The devil wants you to believe that God is dead, but we all know that the devil is a liar. So, we know, especially, I mean, now, now more than ever, that the probability that once powerful nations will probably end up not as powerful or maybe even destroyed. And that there may be terrible disasters. We've gone through a pandemic. We may go through more pandemics that are even worse. We know that these present struggles of our world, are, they're going to pass away and that the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. But this we also know, that he who has been the dwelling place for his people in all generations will be the dwelling place for his people in all the generations that are yet to come. Death will never touch the living God. Ever. Point four that Paul wants to make here. The fourth point of this text is God is called the living God as being always himself really and truly God in the full capacity of his being. See, sometimes we say... Uh, Old Charlie Alba, he's full of life, man. He's full of life. And sometimes we look at <laughs> look at Jedwin and Sugar's fifty and say, He's not so full of life. <laughs> he's uh he's got one foot out the door. Um and then sometimes we look at man and say he's he's very close to death. Not that he's gonna cease to exist, for man does not cease to exist. 
like because we are created to be eternal and exist in one place or another. But we speak of him as dead because his body is dying and that part of him is going into the grave. But God, but God is all life all the time. No portion of him can be affected by death. God is always all alive and altogether living and nothing but life. God's wisdom is always infallible. His power is always mighty. His energy is at all times perfect for everything that needs his attention. He is never lacking. There never comes a time when he will be bowed down with age or wearied by this world or affected by suffering. The living God is the whole God, or as the angels in heaven call him, and it means the same thing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. He is the whole God. I like to think of this part of Scripture. This is, this is good stuff. And I like some of these, I like some of the old words in the, in the certain translations. Listen to this. Uh, God himself speaks about these things again and again. Uh, when the Lord's talking to Moses in the wilderness, he says to Moses, is the Lord's hand waxed short? It means, does it come up short? In the prophecy of Isaiah, we read, thus says the Lord, is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? In Isaiah's response, he writes, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. And today, he is as mighty as he was in those days and he has led his people into safety through the depth, just like he's led his people into the safety through the depths of the sea and delivered them out of Egypt from Pharaoh. Blessed be his holy name, the living God, as full of life and power as he ever was and ever will be. Point five. Once again, Paul saying this to Timothy. It's a short verse. But it's amazing how much is in this name, is it not? Yet once again, God is the living God. He is the source of life, the giver of life, and sustainer of life. We are all living creatures, but He alone is the living creator. We are all living dependents, but He is the living God upon whom all people depend. He spoke us out of nothing and he could speak us back to nothing if he so pleased. We are just creatures of his will, living on his estate as tenants who may at any moment be called home. Think about this. God is life itself. And after all the streams of life that have flowed from him to his creatures, there is as much life in him as there was at first. And when he says, return to me, my children, we go back to him and he will have no more life then than he has now because he is perfect in who he is at all times, the living God. So now that we've looked at the depths of what it means, the name living God, it's so much more than this superficial definition of just the not dead God we see that he has existed perfect in power throughout all eternity that there is no life 
apart from the living God. So I want to make this major truth statement that, that came through the studying of, of this this week. And it's an it's amazing thought to me. I have in my mind, and maybe you've done this before, I, I've thought about like all the people I know, right? And you probably know, I mean, more than me, but thought about all the people that I know around the world even. And the fact is that we are all dying creatures. And this truth is always true, but it's often forgotten and not an enjoyable thing to really talk about. Yet, when one that is close to us, that's precious to us, is taken away, this truth becomes more real to us in that moment. I mean, when we stop and think about those that have passed away and gone before us, we, we really think, just as the scripture says, of how we are just shadows and how life is but a vapor. This often avoided truth is this, that the earth is not the land of the living. The world is a dying world. The living world is beyond death. You see, here there are graves after graves after graves. There's no part of the earth, whether you go to Niger or, or, or Peru or wherever, there are, there are cemeteries there with bodies buried. One day when we get to heaven, to the land of the living, there will be no more cemeteries and no more death. This is important because the hopeless people in this world, in Crossville, in Niger, in Peru, the hopeless people in this world hear this truth and they cry out, death rules over us. What can we do? Death rules over us. But if you know Jesus, and if you're in this place and you know His Word, you know that there is one who rules over death. There is no power over the living God. And we as His servants, we're allowed to work out His plan and His purpose in, in our lives until physical death comes. But once that death comes, we're born instantly into the new life with Christ in eternity. By the death of our redeeming Lord, we have been redeemed from destruction, and therefore we can turn away from everything that is covered in the stench of death. We can turn to Him who is unchanging and whose years have no end, the eternal living God. We can place our trust in Him. So now that we've dug deep into the meaning of what it is to know God as the living God. I want us to see what practical effects knowing about the existence of this living God can have on our lives. What life application is there? The first effect should have, uh, that this should have on our lives is that we should worship the living God with awe and fear and trembling because He is holy. He is holy, holy, holy. What a great God is He. Moses tells us in the fifth chapter of Deuteronomy, verse 26, that the Israelites said when the law was given to them, uh, they said this, Who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You see, they stood there trembling because the living God had come down and touched the mountains so that they smoked like they were altars of incense. 
This is the God who we worship. Like Dell spoke briefly on earlier. I mean, we gotta we gotta get to getting. I mean, there's any any kind of bickering or infighting or or uh, sinful thoughts. We should cast those aside. God's plan and purpose is is bigger than our our petty issues in the, in this world. If you profess this is the this is scriptural warning. If you profess to serve the Lord, but sure uh, be sure that you serve Him faithfully, for it is the living God whom you serve, the God who is not to be mocked with half-hearted service. If you are here this morning and are not redeemed by the living God, listen to what the Bible has to say to you. It says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Also, our God is a consuming fire. So I say that our first life application is that we are to live lives that are in awe and in fear and in trembling of the holy living God. The next life to application should be that we should live a life full of holy courage. Um, in uh, 1933, Franklin D. Roosevelt, he gave his inaugural address. And he said, uh, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. And I would say a more accurate statement for Christians is this. Fear the Lord and fear nothing else. Fear the Lord and fear nothing else. You see, if we abide to that first application that we just discussed, the next logical step is to acknowledge that if we fear the Lord, there is nothing left to fear. No sickness, no, no bad guy, no nothing. Yes, this world is going to be troubled and full of sin, but if we walk with the Lord, He's got us. So, are we on the Lord's side? If we are, then we should never let the fear of this world affect us. For we're on the side of the living God. Because who can successfully defy Him? No one. Who dares to battle against Him? Lucifer tried it and was thrown out of heaven. Listen to what a young David says to King Saul when he goes to the battlefield and Goliath is there. David says this, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Of the living God. David was basically saying, See this big guy right here? He's a servant of a dead God. And him and his dead God can come out against me, and as little as I am, I'm going to kill him. And I'm going to do it in the name of the living God. And I'm going to bring back his head for a victory. So now, even today, if the biggest Goliath that we ever could imagine comes stalking out of nowhere against us, we should say, who is he that he should defy the armies of the living God? David said on other occasions, he said, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock. He also said, if God be for us, who can be against us? This too should be our great security in a time of danger. Dale has talked about Ezekiel 
um, several times in his recent sermons. And let me remind you of what he did. So Ezekiel receives a letter from this Assyrian king, and he took it and he spread it out before the Lord, right? Hezekiah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm misreading. Hezekiah. Ezekiel. Hezekiah. Man. Yeah, it's the sugar. Hezekiah. Hezekiah. So just wait till I get to the king's name. Sennacherib. Is that right? Huh? Sennacherib. Yeah, I could eat a rib right now. Snack on a rib. Sennacherib. So Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Hezekiah. So Hezekiah gets this letter from the king of Assyria. He spreads it out before the Lord. And he, he says, Lord, bow down your ear and hear. Lord, open your eyes and see. And hear the words of uh, Sennacherib, which has set him to, re, to reproach the living God. So here we see Hezekiah. He knows, he knows that you messed up, man. You've spoken against the living God. You see, if, if the living God was a dead God, then this Assyrian king might have done with him as he had done with the other nations with dead gods. Because in this letter, he says uh, to he- uh, Hezekiah, have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed. He's saying, we've been through this before. The Syrian king's like, hey, I've attacked many places. My, and my father's fathers have attacked many places. And we destroyed them. And we're coming for you. But what he doesn't understand is that he's coming after the living God. And if the living God is on your side, no weapon formed against you can stand. And every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you shall com- condemn. So if we as Christians are walking before the living God, in all sincerity, it doesn't matter what king this world rises up or comes against us. The Lord God will defend his own. So we should have no doubt or fear if our God is the living God. Another life application from this uh, truth is this. It should bring us relief in times of when we lose loved ones. You see, sorrow is natural to us. But, it, but to push sorrow to an extreme, it's, it's wrong. Here's a preacher's story of a, of a woman. Uh, this is not unique to me. This is, I heard another pastor give it he said I, I spoke to a woman who had lost her husband and who completely sorrowing over her loss for a very it was completely sorrowing over her loss for a long time her little boy saw her weeping day after day and at last pulling at her gown he said mother is god dead no dear she said but your father is but this question made her stop in her grief as it should have because god is not dead Our best friend still lives. Our Lord and King still lives. So we should be of good cheer. I mean, as we've already spoken about, 
for, for some reason, something that is known to us all is something so taboo to talk about from the standpoint of we just want to live life and, and, and not recognize death as part of that anymore. And that's, for generations past, people have accepted that, but we live in a different time when it's like it, it takes us by surprise. And it shouldn't. It, 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 it should be just part of what we expect to come our way. But we should have a different response than those without hope is what the Lord tells us and in, in, in what should affect us as followers of the living God. You see, we, we can grieve. It's okay to grieve. I mean, even Jesus wept. But we should never distrust the Lord. For as surely as He takes away one worker, He'll raise another up. And if the Lord should take away your husband, He will be your husband. And if He should take away your, the fatherless, and you or take away your father and you should be fatherless, he will be your father. He alone can fill every gap and make your soul to overflow with supreme contentment. The living God is sufficient to comfort us in times of lost loved ones. I got a I got this tweet. I um I don't look at Twitter a lot, but I follow a bunch of different people, people that are this guy's like a Christian counselor, right? And he put this tweet up, and I want to show it to you. And it says, people need Jesus in therapy, not Jesus or therapy. That's not biblical. All right? Jesus only Jesus. I'm not saying therapy doesn't have its place. But it's not... Co, it's not co-captain of making you better with Jesus. It's not on the same level. I only say this because I know people that have this, that have been told this in my life. And they're on this Jesus and pills kick. And it ain't Jesus and pills. I just want you to know that subtle things are happening constantly in the world that we live in where people are being just ever so slightly misled away from the gospel, from the word of God. I think this guy has good intentions. I really do. And like, I'm, I'm not against therapy. But if you don't start with Jesus, you're never going to end up in the right place. It's not Jesus and anything. It's Jesus, only Jesus. Last one. Last life application. Let me take that down. Um, I just show you that to, to, just to let you know. Hey, let's, when you have the living God, should run to him first in all things. Last life application is this. The truth ought to keep us from grieving over losses and struggles in business. This is where I take whatever, the Christmas story, take the BB gun and point it at myself and shoot myself in the eye. 
Um, have you ever experienced a large setback when it comes to your business? Maybe you're blessed and you have not. The fact remains that it doesn't matter what happens in business. It doesn't. The Lord is still God. The Lord still lives. Trusting in the living God is going to bring you through any trial or tribulation that you experience in your business or, or your work. Um, shortly after I purchased my small business that I currently own, I lost a major client. had a handshake deal with a major client, and they, I went to do some more work for them, and there was somebody else there, and it's probably cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars over the past four years. And the point of me telling you that is that in the first few months of me owning the business that I had stepped out in faith to purchase, this was a massive blow at the time. And I look back on it, and I was so scared. And I was like, Lord, what have you done to me? Why did you put me in this position? And I can look back now and know that Jesus did it. He did it to allow me to see that he had full control of my life. He had full control of my business, and he has not failed me not once. He has met all my needs and provided for my family without fail. Praise Him. But the flesh in me was like, what am I going to do? I go tell Dale. Dale's like, you should trust God. I'm like, that's not enough. That's not what I want to hear. Dale was right. Somebody record that. As fallen people, there's always going to be failures and mistakes on our part, and there's always going to be failures and mistakes on our business partner uh, parts and our friends, but God never fails. No part of God ever fails. We must always bear that testimony. Let us, therefore, always trust in the living God. No one likes the idea of struggling with tough situations in work or in life, but uh, Charles Spurgeon says this, if an ill wind blows upon us, let us believe that somehow or other it will blow us some good. And if a rough tide comes up, let us believe that it will in some way or other wash us nearer to our desired haven. So now we have looked at this deep meaning of what it is to understand the t name and title living God. And we've taken these deep meanings and applied them to our life so that there's application there and that we see how we should live as followers of the living God. Now comes this last question that I, that I told you about, and the, it is this. If, is the living God your God? Simple question. Is the living God your God? If so, then remember how, he, how near He is to you. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, You are the temple of the living God. And so what a wonderful thing that is that the living God should want to dwell inside of us. So we should keep our bodies pure and we should see that we strive to maintain a, a purity and, and a desire to not defile the temple of God. Also, if the living God is really ours, let us thirst after Him. Let us say, as the writer of the 42nd Psalm said, As the deer pants for the water, so pants my soul after you, O God. 
May our soul thirst for the living God. He is the living God, so we should thirst after Him and keep on thirsting after Him and not be content to try to live without Him. So to live without the living God is to have death and to not truly live at all. Think about this. As a child of God, the living God dwells within you. We need to seek to realize His presence. We need to long and to pant to realize it more and more. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't know this living God. No, the living God is not mine. Then I'm going to repeat to you the scriptures that I quoted earlier, and it was this. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And for our God is a consuming fire. See, that last, that last scripture there is one that's not used a lot very frequently in uh, modern churches. And the reason why, I believe, is because there are a lot nicer verses that contain softer phrases. But listen, listen to this from Isaiah thirty-three, fourteen. It says this, Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burning? And the answer is, nobody can except the man that walks righteously and speaks uprightly. You see, the prophet Isaiah goes on to describe this man he, uh, who he has... Been, who has been renewed by grace. He's the only man who can live in the everlasting burning of the divine majesty and purity. This man's name is Jesus. You see, Jesus is the son of the living God. And it is by his name that men and women might be saved. Jesus alone is worthy and able to travel through the consuming fire. And he alone can cover your righteousness. But if you're here and you don't know the living God, and you attempt to enter this fire without Jesus, it will consume you. All your glory, all your peace, all your happiness, everything that makes your life your life will be taken from you, and there shall remain nothing but your existence. And this existence is described as an everlasting punishment. So my prayer this morning is that what I just said brings you some discomfort so that you may make a decision to run to the one that can bring you ultimate rest and comfort. One of the most um, influential disciple-making, God-following guys that I've known in my life who's gone home to be with the Lord. His testimony is he's a teenager and he goes to a pool and he's going, he's jumping in and he's doing some dangerous stuff and this, his older neighbor friend or older neighbor, neighbor guy pulls him out of the water. He, he's, cu- he's cussing. He drops GD and jumps in the water and this older neighbor kid pulls him out of the water and pulls him up and says, you just damned the only person that cared enough to die for your sins. And he cussed him and jumped back in the water. And he said he couldn't get it out of his mind for the next week. And then the next week, and then he goes, starts going to church, and then he gets saved, and then he leads thousands of people to the Lord over the next 20 or 30 years. 
So if I offended you, he said, I was so offended that that guy said that to me. Well, I hope I offended you to do something this morning. It's not, it's not because I just like to offend people. It's that I care about you going to be with the Savior. Let's pray. Living God, Holy One, you alone are the one that can give life. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that needs your salvation, that they drop their guard and that they run to you, that they call on the name of Jesus, that they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that you are King of kings and Lord of lords and that you died in their place for their sin, Lord. Jesus, we thank you for your infinite mercy, your wonderful grace, your death, burial, and resurrection. We pray that you use us for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.